0: Pastor Chris and his family are on a much needed vacation and rest this week, but my Brother Jamie is here to bring the word, so please join me in welcoming him up to the platform. Good morning, second service. Good morning. Happy Sunday after Thanksgiving to all of you. Did everyone have a peaceful, nice Thanksgiving? You guys eat a lot of food. I can never stop myself from overeating during Thanksgiving. Is anyone still suffering from the itis? Do you guys know what the itis is? No? That's a totally different message. I'll, I'll say that for you guys later. Amen. First and foremost, glory to God, my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Pastor Chris, Pastor Melissa, Pastor Raquel, it is an honor to be with you this morning. Are you guys ready to get into the Word? Are your hearts prepared for today's message? Just a little bit? All right. So, we're going to continue with our sermon series, The Abundant Life. Now, I know Pastor Chris said last Sunday that there's a possibility of us concluding this sermon series. But one of the many qualities that I admire about our pastor is his obedience to the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure if you realize it or not, but this is a generational blessing passed down from his grandfather to his father, to him. And we can even see this blessing in Pastor Raquel. Pastor Chris could have been working on a message Diligently, doing research, gathering data, and have the entire message saved on his computer and ready to go. And then the night before preaching said message, the Holy Spirit comes to him and says, scrap that, I want you to preach on something else. And he does it. Amen? Amen. Amen. So, speaking of the beautiful Spirit of God... If you were here for last Sunday's message, you might be under the impression that Pastor Chris and I collaborated just to make sure that our messages are at least somewhat related. Well, that is not the case. (laughs) Pastor Chris didn't give me any guidance or any instructions whatsoever. He simply came to me about two weeks ago and said, hey, I need you the last Sunday of the month. Make it happen. (laughs) Sir, yes, sir. To God be all the glory. Because you're going to see just how congruent the Word of God is. Today we're going to be doubling down on the significance of last week's sermon. So the subtitle of this message is, The Great I Am. This message will be emphasizing the the central point of the Abundant Life Sermon Series. Not just that series, but of the Wake Up Sermon Series as well. To be quite frank, this is the point of every sermon our beloved pastor has ever preached. It's a very simple point, too, and that is it's all about Jesus. Amen? No matter how you slice it, the Old Testament points to Jesus, the New Testament points to Jesus, end time prophecy points to Jesus. The abundant life that God desires for us is found. In Jesus. He is the great I am. Jesus' I am statements, which we're going to get into today, depicts Jesus' identity and ministry. In the Gospel of John, Jesus purposefully used the phrase that would remind his listeners, make them think of the Old Testament name for God found in Exodus chapter 3. So let's get into it. Number one, keep this in mind, this is going to be a really short message. Now, I know you guys are thinking, oh, we've heard that a lot of times. Rest assured, this is actually going to be a short message. Number one, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Now, there are many reasons people pursue Jesus. An athlete might come right before a game asking for help to play well. When we were in school, we have come right before taking a test, asking for mercy, when we know we didn't study. Some come to church regularly, hoping this may convince God to give them a relationship. Some are very religious because they are convinced, if we're good to God, then God will be good to us. At the bottom of all these examples is the wanting something from God more than God himself. We've all been there. But Jesus, in John chapter 6, verses 25 through 40, offers a better reason to come. Jesus had just fed the 5,000. It was the first ever fast food experience in history. <laughs> and the people loved it. So much so that they came to him from all over, wanting him to give them bread. They came to him wanting something from Jesus more than Jesus. Jesus makes clear he didn't come to give them bread good things. He came to give them the one thing they were made for, himself. Jesus says, I am the bread. Jesus is not here to ensure that we have a good life. He came to be our life. Jesus didn't come to give bread. He came to be bread. He doesn't exist to serve us. He is inviting us to understand that we exist to serve him. But we will not serve him until we taste and experience how he has first served us perfectly. It's his love for us that wins our hearts to belong to him. We must eat the bread he offers. On the last night of Christ's his life, we find him having a meal with his followers. With bread in his hands, he breaks it in half and says to them, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The next morning, His body was broken as he hung on a tree for the sin of humanity. Hmm. This is the bread we're meant to consume. Amen? This is the bread we're meant to consume. This is the bread that will satisfy your deepest desires. This bread will save you from your sickness of sin. This bread tastes like love. This bread is better than anything else the world has to offer. Don't settle for coming to Christ for something something from him instead of him. He is the bread. Don't miss him. Do you find yourself wanting things from God more than God himself? Take some time, read over this text and enjoy what God has given you. Number two, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. In John chapter eight, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness. Because you will have the light that leads to life. Imagine being in a place so dark that you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. A place with no flashlight on your phones, no Alexa you can ask to turn on the lights. Have you ever been in a place like that, a room like that? And notice I said room, because I know some of you guys are the outdoors type who like to go. Camping and hiking, that is outside of my sphere. I am not the outdoors type. I am a city slicker through and through. So for my sake, let's say you're in a room, you're at home, and the power goes out. Actual darkness can be somewhat worrying. You know, it's a strange thing to want to know where to go, but to not be able to see the way. In John chapter 8, Jesus tells a big crowd that he is the light of the world and that anyone who follows him may always have his light to guide them. Think about how powerful of a picture this is. Not just when the people had no electricity, meaning no street lights or flashlights to light their path, but for us today, How often is life confusing? How many times can the path in front of us be hard to see? Here's a little secret I'll let you in on. Most people, if they're honest, have trouble knowing which ways in life to go. It's not always easy to know which friends to hang out with. Or who to be in a relationship with. Or what career path is the one. This is why the promise of Jesus being the light of the world is so important to us today. He tells us that if we trust him and ask him to guide us, then we will always have the light of Jesus with us. Darkness will still come and difficult days will happen. There will be challenging choices and there will even be attacks from the enemy. But when we walk with Jesus, we walk in his light. This is the light that points to how he loves us. This is the light that leads us when we don't know where to go. This is the light that puts out the darkness. This is a light that has one destination to the foot of the cross, amen, Amen. where the light of the world died in the dark. It is here at the cross where our darkness was placed on him so that his light might live in us. Following Jesus, the light of the world will lead us along the path that leads to God and a life living with God. Amen? Amen. The world can be dark, but the good news is Jesus is our light. Are you walking with Jesus' light these days? Are you reading his word and asking the Holy Spirit to guide you When you make decisions, what choices can you give to God? Number three, Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep. In John chapter 10, verses 7 through 10, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers. But the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Have you ever struggled to fall asleep because you can't remember if the front door was locked before you went to bed? You're pretty sure it is, but you can't really rest because in the back of your mind is the possibility that a robber could burst through the door at any moment. Anybody like that? Jesus says not in his house. Jesus is the door that protects his sheep. The only people who come in are the ones he lets in. But there are many other voices in the world. They aim to lure you away from the door they can't get in. These are the thieves and robbers that Jesus warns us about in Scripture. They won't do but they're telling you they will. These varying voices are designed to draw you away with empty promises that inside their door is what you've been always looking for. Young people, do whatever it takes to find followers. Then you'll feel better about yourself. You need to act and think like everyone else if you want to make friends. Or, If you want to be happy, then money, fame, celebrity, that's the key. Or just come inside this one time. You've been working hard. It's okay. Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone comes through me, they will be saved and find pasture. Only Jesus can give you the rest you're looking for. Only Jesus is strong enough to keep you from the thieves and robbers. He's your defender and protector. He is a sanctuary of rest and a safe place in your darkest night. He is strong enough to defend you, yet caring enough to comfort you in his pasture. Anyone who desires can come through this door. But entering this door means coming through Christ. You cannot go around him. You cannot go above or beneath him. The only way into this pasture is to come through him. The only way to go through Christ is to find your rest in what he went through for you. At the cross, Christ became an outcast. So that we could come in. He took on our sin on the outside of the city walls so we could find our home in Him. Only here at the door of Christ can you find the eternal, deep soul rest you've been always looking for. Rest here. Don't believe the lies. Jesus is the only door worth walking through. What doors do you typically find yourself walking in? Take some time to rest in what it means to come through Christ. Number four, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. In John chapter 10, verses 11 through 14, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him. And he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money. And doesn't really care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. Think about a shepherd. What is their primary responsibility? You can say it out loud. Shepherds tend to their sheep. A good shepherd takes great responsibility in the safety and welfare of his flock. He will guide his sheep through the day, protecting them from walking the wrong way, eating the wrong thing, or wandering into danger. In a sense, a shepherd is protecting the sheep from themselves. The shepherd also lies attentive among the sheep to defend against any threats that predators may pose in the night. Jesus says to his sheep, I am the good shepherd. Jesus looks after his, his own like a shepherd does his sheep. The truth is that God, God's desire was not to delegate this work of caring for us to someone else. It's quite the opposite. He takes it personally, amen? God humbled himself so that we could know his love and fatherly affection. In his perfect plan, God stepped out of heaven to take on flesh so that we could know and be known by him. If you're hearing this, if you're hearing this right now, God wants to know you. I'll say it again, God wants to know you. His desire to know you was so strong that Jesus, our good shepherd, stepped into our story to save us from ourselves through his death and resurrection. In Psalms 23, David writes, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack for nothing. This statement can be true for you as well. A sheep under the care of a good shepherd can move through each day with the peace that comes in knowing he is your protector. Your story may seem anything but safe right now, but know your shepherd is watching. He will provide for you and he will protect you. My prayer is that you would feel the comfort and safety that comes from being known and loved by God. You serve a God who held nothing back in order to restore a right relationship with his creation. You can trust the shepherd that gave up his life to guide your daily life. How can you remind yourself of the love displayed in the life and death of Jesus? What areas of your life need to be surrendered to the shepherd? Number five, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. In John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who who believes in me will live, even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? What's happening here is Jesus was walking onto the scene where the one he loved, Lazarus, had died days before when Jesus sees Martha he makes the promise to be the resurrection and the life this statement which Martha believed had implications for her present reality and for eternity Jesus does not say that he merely has the power to resurrect but Jesus is claiming to be the source of resurrection, and all life. Just months later, Lazarus is called by Jesus out of the tomb to live again. For you and me, the power of Jesus over life and death shifts the entire narrative of our lives. Like Lazarus, there are implications for the here and now. The life that Jesus offers us is one full of peace, despite the troubles that come. Jesus says this in John 16. We can take on the yoke of Jesus and in turn find rest for our souls. Isn't that what he says in Matthew 11? We have faith that despite our current circumstances, God is faithful to guide us to the finish line. Just like the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 1. While the resurrection has given us more than we deserve in this life, it expands into eternity. Martha was just months away from watching firsthand as Jesus fulfilled the totality of this promise. Jesus took on the sins of the world, dying the death we deserved and conquered death, being resurrected from the dead. It is only through Jesus that we have the opportunity to never die. Living a life surrendered to the saving power of Jesus Christ changes your life tomorrow. And it changes your life one million years from tomorrow. The resurrection of Jesus is the single most important moment in the history of the world. My prayer is that you would personally experience the life Jesus offers. Your status in relationship to Jesus is the most important thing about you. Living a life that is universally influenced by that relationship Is the abundant life Jesus promised? This gospel truly changes everything. What areas of your day-to-day life need to be molded into the life that Jesus called us into? Does the future promise of eternal life change your perspective on your current situation? Number six, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the Son of God. Nowhere else do we see his beauty more clearly than at the cross. It is here that God sent his son into our world so we can know him and ultimately be saved by his blood. See, without Jesus, we are in deep, deep trouble. We're in a pit we can't get out of. We've been given the news of a deadly disease. See, we could never get to God on our own because of our sin in view of his holiness. It would be like trying to flap your arms as hard as you can and fly from Florida to California. No matter how hard you try, you weren't born with wings. When we were born, we were born into a world where sin was our nature. We were selfish and greedy. We were mean and bitter, and over and over again, we chose what we wanted instead of what God wanted. But even while we were living in that sin, God looked at us and loved us and wanted us to be with Him. This is where that holiness comes into play. See, God knew that we could never be with him as long as that sinful nature was our story. So because of his love, God wrote us a new one. He sent Jesus into the world and showed us his character through Jesus's life. He was kind and gentle, powerful and generous, merciful and righteous. And at the right time, sacrificial. When Jesus told the disciples that he is the way, the truth, and the life, he meant it. When he said that no one comes to the Father except through him, he meant that too. Now the world may tell us that hard work or being a good person is the way to happiness in heaven. But the truth is much more radical. Jesus is our way. Jesus is the only way. He is the one who shows us the way to spend our lives on earth. And he is the one who traded our sinful nature for his righteousness. See, the problem was justice, and his mercy was the solution. Through his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus made a way for us to come to the Father. Amen? Amen. Do you understand why no one comes to the Father except through Jesus? And if so, have you put your trust in Jesus To exchange your sinful nature for his righteousness. Number seven, last point, believe it or not. Are you with me? Are you with me? Jesus says, I am the true vine. In John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11, Jesus says, I am the true grapevine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Amen? Amen. We all want to matter in life, to have significance, purpose, and meaning. In these words, Jesus is spelling out how we can do that. And it boils down to this. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Just like a grape branch can't produce grapes without being attached to a vine. So what does it actually mean to be attached to the vine? Specifically in these words, Jesus is referring to grapes, something that was very familiar to the people of his time. See, grapes are the most widely used fruit in the Bible, and for good reason. When we think about what we will produce in our lives, we can think of grapes because they can serve a lot of purposes. Grapes can be eaten fresh off the vine pressed for grape juice, pressed and preserved for wine, or dried for raisins. Grapes can live beyond their life on the vine. No matter what season you find yourself in, you may be feeling fresh and refreshed, ready to step into whatever God has called you to. You may feel pressed like the world is coming at you from all sides. You may feel pressed and hidden, sort of hidden away, like you are going through the struggles of life alone. You may feel dried out, tired from religion, worn out from the constant push and pull of life. No matter where you find yourself, God wants to do something in and through you. Grapevines can't just grow anywhere. It takes a master gardener to find the right place with the right water, soil, and sunlight for a grapevine to flourish. And that goes for us as well. We were planted by the master gardener himself intentionally. Carefully and with purpose. Amen? Amen. As we close and the music begins to play and we begin to prepare our hearts for communion, let what our king is saying in this text resonate in your hearts because he's giving us the key to an abundant life. It's all about Jesus. Say it with me. It's all about Jesus. When we abide with Him, remain in Him, doing daily life, step by step, moment by moment with Him, He promises that we will bear much fruit. Our work is abiding. His work is growing. Our work is to remain in His love. His work is to make us lovely. Our work is enjoying the soil, sun, and water. His work is to make grapes that can be used to His glory. If we abide with Jesus, we will bear much fruit. That's a promise. He's the vine. Who we are stems from who He is. Stop straining and striving and rest and only what God can give you. See, that's where the growth happens. This is where the fruit is produced. Isn't that what we all want? To bear fruit, good fruit for his kingdom, amen? We can examine our life by asking ourselves, are we producing good fruit? The kind that gives life, today and every day moving forward your rest i'm sorry your work is to rest in his work for you i'll say it again your work is to rest in his work for you apart from him you can do nothing but in him anything is possible we remain in him and we will bear much fruit. Look around at your relationships, your actions, and your minds is what is being produced on your branch, good and life-giving. Before we partake in communion, Jesus informing us that he is the true vine is so significant because it really ties everything together. When I'm approached by our youth or even adults, and they ask for prayer or begin to tell me about things that are going on in their lives, they're struggling with this matter or that matter. Things just aren't going right in their lives at that season or in that season. I typically ask the same questions. Have you been praying, reading your word, spending time with our king? Are you attached to that vine? Because when we're not, his word says we wither. When we're not spending time with our king, that's when that window, that door is cracked and those thieves and robbers come in right in. Stay attached to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Don't forget that. Amen? The body given broken for us. The blood that was shed Sealing the covenant forever in Jesus' name. Thank you, Second Service. God bless you. Enjoy the rest of your uh, Sunday.